The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, I want to start by saying, first and foremost, that God is good, that the Lord is merciful and generous, gracious, and I was just thinking this morning, you know, 35 years ago, I came to Christ, and really, like many of you, it was a miracle, a miracle of God's grace. I'm raised in abject poverty in upstate New York. My dad left when I was seven years old. My dad was a heroin addict. He died when I was 26 was buried on my birthday. As a young kid growing up, I had no mention of church in our family. I was pretty much left to my own devices to run the streets, and that's what I did. And it took a miracle of God. I had a friend whose mom, she's now gone on to heaven, Actually, she passed away to glory just a little under a year ago. She came to know Jesus and started attending this church. And in upstate New York, you live in duplexes. So there's a family on top and a family below. And I was the family on top and the hills were below us. And my buddy Andrew, who was my best friend, his mom came to Christ. And Andrew said, Tom, you got to come out to church. And I said, you're crazy. There's no way I'm darkening the doorsteps of a church. You know me. And he convinced me. Now, listen, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He said, well, there are some very sweet young ladies at this church. You need to come out and meet. I'm not saying that's a good way to evangelize to your friends. I'm not promoting that as an approach. But nonetheless, it got my attention. And I attended and I heard about Jesus. It was a journey for me. It really was somewhat of a struggle because I had nothing at home to reinforce what I was hearing. Quite contrary, I'd come home and I'd see the violence around me in the early 1980s. Crack cocaine had invaded the communities I was in. So a lot of my friends got caught up in that. And it was dark. It was very dark. But Jesus, the good shepherd, like the song we sang this morning, he pursued me. And it took a youth pastor. Actually, I was in a a primarily African-American community. And it took a youth pastor who happened to be white from a suburban community coming in to my neighborhood and taking me and a couple of my friends under his wing. And every summer, I remember he'd drive in, and we'd go out, and we were all athletic, so we'd go hang out and jog and work out, and he would open the scriptures to us and share with us, Pastor Mike Koshan. And it was through him and through just the love of the people of God, the church that I was in, that I was able to slowly but surely break out of those chains and those circumstances. I became the first in my family to graduate from college. I met a lovely bride who I've been married to for 23 years. We have a son who I love, and all because the good shepherd we're going to talk about this morning. The good shepherd. I remember during my my formative faith years, I'd go down to the railroad tracks just to get away in this industrial city. And I would walk for miles on these tracks, and I'd just have a conversation with the Lord. And i just work through stuff. I mean, he is such 
a good counselor. You can tell him anything. He knows you already. Nothing surprises him about you or me, and yet he still loves us. It's amazing. That's what the scriptures say, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's amazing, the love of God. And anytime I get into talking about the good shepherd, I can't help but remember those long walks in my youth and just conversating and fellowshipping with the Lord. Though I had nothing in a material sense, I had him. So I had everything. And it's a wonderful thing. Turn with me to John chapter 10, please. John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles, I believe, in every row. And this morning, we only have a section on the overhead behind me. So we're going to be actually going to Psalm 23, which isn't going to be up here. So you all going to need your Bibles this morning. So please grab a Bible. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, please take the one that is in your seat home with you. It's free. It's a gift from this church to you, because we want you to have a Bible, to have God's love letter, God's word to you. So consider that a gift in Jesus' name. Would you all pray with me? All right, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, so much for your faithfulness. I pray, Lord, that in my weakness, Lord, your strength, would be perfected. And I know, Lord, that you are so faithful that you brought folk here on this Labor Day weekend. You superintended it, Lord. You purposed it that these very folk would be here to hear this message, your message to us, calling us unto yourself. So Holy Spirit, precious Holy Spirit, Even now, I ask that you would move to do the supernatural work that only you can do, that only you can do, anointing, fall on me, fall on us, Jesus in your holy name, in all God's kids together can say, Amen. Y'all remember the last two Sundays, Rob last week, Pastor Colin previously. We were in John chapter 9. We've been working through the book of John. And there's this kind of theme that we've been talking about, spiritual blindness. And in chapter 9, it started with the healing of this man who had been blind from birth. And Jesus does this with unconventional means. He spits into the dirt and takes mud pies and places them on the eyes. And the man is able to see. And right away, the religious establishment of the day, the leadership, the Pharisees, they start to criticize. They interrogate this guy, and they just don't want to believe that Jesus does what Jesus does, and that is restore sight to the blind. They're hard-hearted. Again, they are spiritually blind. They even go as far as to interrogate this man's parents They bring his parents in, and I believe we talked about that last week. And they are just, they're so thick-headed, they don't want to recognize Jesus. And they have been supposedly leading the people of Israel in the ways of God. But we know that isn't true. We know that isn't true by how they respond to Jesus, to the ministry of Jesus. So there's division in the ranks. The crowd's confused. The man, by the way, who's healed, and I love last week we saw this, it's kind of like his perspective grows. He starts off by kind of seeing Jesus as just a good teacher, and he ends up with Jesus being Lord. So through all of this stuff that he's exposed to, these religious leaders, really these hypocrites who have really one motive, and that is to undermine the work of Jesus— They ultimately want to kill and are going to kill Jesus. This precious man who's healed from a lifetime of blindness, 
he comes upon a revelation that Jesus is truly good. He's Lord. And in that context, Jesus takes us and I believe responds to these so-called spiritual shepherds, these false leaders of Israel. And he responds in John chapter 10, verse 1. He says, truly, truly, whenever he says that, your ears should perk up because it's his way of underscoring. We've talked about this before. Whenever you say truly, truly twice, in this context, he means you need to really listen. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens. Interesting. Now, by show of hands, Anybody here know someone who is by vocation a shepherd? Raise your hand, please. <laughs> exactly what I thought. And you'll notice that Jesus does this. He is speaking here. Of course, this is an ancient Near Eastern culture. So you'll look in the scriptures and you'll see a lot of talk about sowing and reaping and farming because they're agricultural. And here he's speaking about the role of a shepherd. In today's world, in 2000, what are we in? 19, thank you, Daisy, my wife. In 2019, of course, in America, here in the United States, uh, post-industrialized, we, we hear shepherd and we're like, we're trying to guess exactly what that implies, what that means. It's very important for us to be able to interpret this section of scripture to understand the role of the shepherd in the Near Eastern ancient culture that Jesus is speaking to. So this morning, take a deep breath. We're going to attempt to do that. And I'm going to do it um, as expeditiously as I possibly can. So here we are. The mention of a sheepfold. So here's what happens. You have sheep. You have multiple shepherds, and they have their different sheep. And overnight, they have to protect the sheep. The shepherds need to sleep. They need to find a place where the sheep can go and be safe. So this is called the sheepfold. Usually, it's in the town center or sometimes outside of the village. It's a series of walls. The sky is open and, and on top of them, and they'll build the walls up and often put thorn bushels and stuff on top to prevent any predators from jumping over the wall and gaining access to the sheep. And there would be a doorway or an entrance area, a gate or a door to that particular sheep fold. Also, please know that you'd have sheep from various shepherds. So we're not dealing with just like one shepherd with his particular flock. There'd be multiple flocks in this sheepfold, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So it talks about a door that is at the front end of that sheepfold. The shepherds would guard the door, usually by rotation. Because overnight, they'd get tired, and they were out working hard during the day. So they would work out kind of a system with one shepherd kind of relieving the next shepherd as they stood watch throughout the night over the door or the gate of that sheepfold. Now, occasionally, they'd hire that responsibility out, sort of like they were hiring a security guard to watch the sheep door, the sheepfold door. And that security guard here is referenced to as the gatekeeper. It could be somebody who's hired out or it could be the shepherd. And most, and most likely in this context, we're talking about a hired gatekeeper. So you've got the sheepfold, you've got a door, you've got a gatekeeper. Now it continues to say the sheep in verse three, hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, this I found to be very interesting because you have all these different shepherds. So you'd have various flock in the sheepfold. And this actually was true. I listened to an interview 
with an expert on, I guess, sheep herding from this time period. And listen to this. The sheep were so attuned to their individual shepherd's voice that the shepherd could come to the sheepfold with all those varying flocks there, and he'd call out. And his specific sheep would identify his specific voice. Now, how is that possible? Well, think of the countless hours of intimacy that that shepherd had with those sheep. The miles upon miles that they traveled together, the day-to-day activities, often under the hot sun, or as the sun set and the, the night darkened, there were those sheep with that shepherd, and he was among his sheep, and they were so attuned, they were so intimate with him that he could stand in that sheep pen, and his voice they would recognize over all other voices. And if you've ever seen sheep, they look kind of the same, right? They're similar in how they look. It's amazing. The shepherd, on the flip side of that, was so familiar with his sheep that he could actually identify them, and he named them. Now, I don't know about y'all, but one sheep looks just like another sheep to me in St. Pete, Florida, in 2000, Daisy, 19. Yet there's a level of relationship of intimacy that is implied here. And unless you understood Near Eastern sheep herding, that would go right over your head. It's amazing. Look what else it goes on to say, verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Notice, the shepherd does not stand behind the sheep driving them. He gets out in front of them, and he leads them. He's not coercing them at the end of a whip. He's leading them. And it says very clearly, what is the response of those sheep? They follow him for they know his voice. Listen, to follow a shepherd implies that you trust your shepherd. If you don't trust your shepherd, you don't follow your shepherd. Your shepherd will need to drive you. The shepherd would be on the backside of the herd going, let's go. And I've been there before because I teach kids. I've driven my wife, too, between the two of us. We've set records for driving students to do things they don't want to do. But that's not what's going on here. This shepherd is in front. Listen to me because it dropped into my spirit. I think with our fellowship group, Rob, Thursday, we talked about this maybe two weeks ago. To trust someone implies that you believe they're trustworthy, right? So the Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. And I often wondered why faith. Here's why. It's hard to have faith without trust. Basically, those words are interchangeable, faith and trust. So when you exercise faith in God, listen to what you're saying. God, you are good. You are good. I trust you. I couldn't trust you if I didn't first believe you are good. That is the essence of faith. It's a confidence in the goodness of God. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith you have to believe he is the rewarder of those who diligently the scriptures say seek him it's amazing so they have to believe the shepherd is good a stranger let's look at verse five they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers again you've got these spiritually blind leaders 
who are all listening in. At this point, they're confused, but Jesus is addressing them, these false teachers, these false leaders who are motivated by everything but love. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them again. They are in a corrupt, spiritually blind state, these false shepherds of Israel. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Very interesting. So he's now going to interpret this analogy for the spiritually blind leaders. And he starts by saying that he is the door to the peaceful, secure, abundant place of rest that is the sheepfold. Listen, there is one way into relationship with God the Father. It is not based on your works, your goodness, your good deeds, your church attendance, etc. That door is a person. And that person is our Savior. He is the way, he says, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said these words, except through me. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. That thief in Greek Greek is kleptis. It means an embezzler, a pilferer. This name, according to commentators, is transferred to false teachers who do not care to instruct men but abuse their confidence for their own gain. A lot of us reference Satan with this verse In the context here, it really is speaking of false teachers and false leaders. That's the context here. Now, of course, Satan is behind all of that. So we know that. But the immediate application here is Jesus is addressing these false leaders. And he says they come to kill, steal, and destroy. And by the way, let me pause to say I'm so grateful that we have under shepherds here who love the Lord, whose hearts are pure before Jesus, who aren't in it for themselves, to promote themselves, to make money. Beware, beware of the cult of personality that exists in modern American Christianity. Beware of that, okay? I'm glad that here, I thank the Lord, that here we have under shepherds whose hearts run after the good shepherd. That word abundantly, it says Jesus came that you might have Zoe in Greek, life, and have it abundantly. Listen to the word abundantly. Perissos, it means over and above, more than is necessary, super added life. Now, this isn't talking about simply material stuff because you know this. The most valuable things in life aren't material. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? But there is a peace. There is a joy. There is a relationship. There's a sense of purpose. There's a sense of meaning. There's a sense of belonging. There is a belonging when you're a member of the family of the good shepherd. It is above and beyond Anything you could ask for or imagine, my worst day as a believer is 10 times better than my best day before I knew Jesus. And it's not because of what I possess in a material sense. It's because of whose I am. Verse 11. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is an interesting cultural, again, historical note. In the absence of an actual physical door in that sheep pen, the Near Eastern ancient shepherd would actually lay himself down on the ground across the entrance, physically lay himself down as a barrier between the predators out there and the sheep in there. So if they couldn't find a hired hand, or if it was really late at night and it was time for them to sleep, that's what the shepherd would do. He'd physically lay down. you got to get through me to get to them. I'm laying down my life. Now, of course, Jesus takes it a step further in the cross. That he went to the cross willingly to bear our sins. He laid down his life for his sheep. But the listeners here understood. They got the picture of the shepherd physically offering himself up to protect the sheep in the sheep pen. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, this is an obvious reference to the corrupt blind leaders of Israel. Verse 14, here's the good stuff. I am the good shepherd. Now, based on what I just went over with you guys, listen. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me. Be comforted, people. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. The others he's referring to are the Gentiles. This is an all-Jewish audience right here that he's speaking to. And the scriptures tell us that the gospel first came to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So the others, Jesus is looking into the future. He knows that there are going to be those of us who aren't Jewish ethnically who are going to be brought into the family of God, the flock of God, under this one shepherd who is Jesus, the good shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus was not a victim. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind. Now in your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. Chapter 23. What we're going to do in our final handful of moments together is we're going to look at this idea of Jesus as a good shepherd from the point of view of a sheep. We're going to look at Jesus as the good shepherd from the point of view of a sheep. And that sheep is none other than the legendary King David, who, by the way, is an ancestor of Jesus who, by the way, as a young boy, was also a shepherd. And like Jesus, who's ultimately the king of kings, this young David is a shepherd king as well. And David understood his good shepherd. And he wrote about it, inspired wonderful 
six verses in the book of Psalms. Let's look through them quickly together. This is the sheep's vantage point. The sheep king, shepherd king, David, referring to the good shepherd. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. First thing right out the bat that David says, he says, The good shepherd is your provider. Is your provider. In the Hebrew, they have a compound name of God. In other words, there's a hyphen, so they have God hyphen and usually an attribute of God. And that would be Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Psalm 37 and 25, you can turn there if you'd like. Psalm chapter 37 and verse 25. And it reads, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the good shepherd is your provided. Look at Matthew in the New Testament, chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Again, there are Bibles, I believe, available if you'd like one. These words are in red, which means these are Jesus' words. Listen to what he says. Listen, receive this. Be blessed by this. Listen to our Lord. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added. Remember Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That word means super added. All these things will be added to you. So the good shepherd is your provider. Back to Psalms 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. What here King David is saying is the good shepherd is your peace. Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. Listen to this. Listen to what a commentator says. Sheep apparently do not lie down easily. 
unless there are four conditions met. So apparently it's difficult for a shepherd to get a sheep to lie down. Yet here David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It says, they will not lie down if they're afraid. They will not lie down if there is friction among them and other sheep. Apparently sheep are very social. I didn't know this. They will not lie down if flies or parasites trouble them. And they will not lie down if they're worried about where the food is going to come from, if they're hungry. So rest comes to the sheep because the shepherd has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. I'll say it again. Rest comes because the shepherd, the good shepherd, has dealt with fear, friction, flies, and famine. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, let me read it to you. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace. The peace, the good shepherd is our peace. It says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus wants to still our anxieties and our fears. He wants to be the source your peace. The good shepherd. Verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, James Boyce, who is someone who I respect, he's passed away. He says in Hebrew, the words restores my soul can mean brings me to repentance or conversion. So the idea here Maybe a picture of straying sheep being brought back into the fold by the good shepherd. Listen, that's been me before. I've been a straying sheep. I've gotten tangled up in the weeds. I've been heading for a cliff before. And the good shepherd has had to come to my rescue. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's us this morning. It says he restores. The good shepherd is our healer and our sanctifier. Jehovah Rophe. Listen to James chapter 5 and verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. This is interesting. That you may be healed. He's linking prayers, confession, in restoration with healing. And I'm not just referring to physical healing. Most importantly, it's the restoration of your relationship, the, the quality of your relationship with the Lord. You're always his children once you accept Christ. But what sin does, it affects us conditionally, not positionally. Listen, my wife and I, we're married Till death do us part. So positionally, I'm her husband. Now, if I act like I have no sense, it may affect us in terms of the level of our communication. I have to go get right with her. I have to make amends with her. But she's always my wife, and I'm always her husband. And sometimes that's how it works with regard to the believer in our straying. It's not that God abandons us. You don't have to go back and become a believer again. We don't believe that the scriptures don't teach that, but it may affect the quality of that relationship with him. The depth, the level of life, of peace, of joy, of power in your life could be a direct consequence, the loss of that of straying. So he wants to restore us. He wants to heal us. Verse four. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen, the good shepherd is your comforter. Notice it's a valley, not a mountaintop or a broad meadow. A valley suggests being hedged in and surrounded. If you've ever walked through a valley and you're claustrophobic, you know what I'm talking about. Being hedged in. It says it is a valley of the shadow of death. He says of death. This is what David, of course, recognizes as sort of like the ultimate defeat and evil death. It says it is the valley of the shadow of death. It's not facing the substance of death itself, but the shadow of death. Some feel that's even worse. It's this dark cloud. This this sense of inevitable doom that kind of rides with you. This unsteadiness, like when's the other foot going to drop? The shadow. You may be walking in the valley right now. Perhaps a doctor gave you a bad report. Maybe your spouse has left you. Or your child has left the faith. And you feel the shadow of death. But listen, here's hope. Listen, in order for there to be a shadow, in order for there to be a shadow, there also must be a light. Let me say it again. In order for there to be a shadow, there also must be a light. Jesus walks in the valley with us. His light is also by our side. The amazing thing that David is saying about the comforter is that you and I are not alone. Look what he says again, verse four. Look at it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. I've been in the shadow. I've been in that valley. And it's amazing. My remedy when I've tried so many different things to come out of that valley my remedy has been recognizing that he is with me. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I know I want to figure it out. I do. I want, to, I want answers, immediate answers. Sometimes they're not there. But you know who always is? Jesus, the good shepherd, he'll never leave us. Second Corinthians 1, 4, receive this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves 
are comforted by God. So what is the source of his comfort? His presence. I'll move on in just a second, but listen, you ever been around somebody who's been real wounded and you want to give them answers, right? And many times I know I've got friends and loved ones like this. They, they say, Tom, Tommy, just shut up. I just need a hug. Just sit here with me. Just be here for me. You don't have to say anything. Just be here. Hold my hand. Y'all don't have to say that to Jesus. Because he's already doing that. It's amazing. His presence. We're almost done. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me, he says, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil this good shepherd, my cup overflows. What David is saying, this sheep about his good shepherd, is that the good shepherd is Jehovah Nisi, our victory. He is our shepherd, our protector. The good shepherd is our protector. Listen to what the great Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. I love it. When a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats at all, he snatches a hasty meal and away he hastens to the fight. But observe, nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door and yet God prepares a table in the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. Why? He's at the master's table. The enemy has nothing on him. It's amazing. I want to read, and you can turn there. And again, we're almost concluding here in just a second. Psalm 121. But I want the word of God to minister to us. Psalm 121. This is for someone this morning. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. I'm reading in the New King James Version. Forgive me. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will, he will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the a moon by night. The Lord will preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord will preserve your going out and your coming in. From this time forth and forevermore, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my victory. He's my protector. And last but not least, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not only is the Lord our good shepherd, our provider, 
Not only is the good shepherd our peace, not only is the good shepherd our healer, our sanctifier, not only is the good shepherd our comforter, not only is the good shepherd our protector, the good shepherd finally, listen, is your faithful companion. Jehovah Manah, the Lord is my portion. That's what that means. He's my portion. Listen to this quote. We are well escorted by this good shepherd. With the good shepherd in front leading us. In these twin angels, goodness and mercy following behind. That is a divine escort. The shepherd in the front. And the scriptures say you are followed, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I want to close and the worship team can come. I want to read Psalm 139 and then we're concluding. Verses 7 to 10 if you're taking notes or you can listen later. Listen to what the psalmist said. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The good shepherd, our faithful companion. Please stand as we worship the Lord together. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.